All right, well, good morning, church, and those going to the preschool class, we'll see you in a little bit. I invite you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9. Back in 2019 at the Portland Marathon, there was a little bit of a mix-up with the race, You see, what happened was 15 of the fastest runners, the leaders of the pack, they got off course. Uh, They claimed that the things weren't marked well, and they didn't know they were supposed to turn, and they just kept going straight, and they ended up running an extra two miles in the wrong direction. They found themselves on roads that, to their surprise, traffic was not blocked on, and as cars were whizzing past them, the cars were surprised as to what this group of runners were, you know, were doing on this busy street. And at this point, one of the runners in the pack starts yelling out, are we on course? <laughs> are we on course? And a race official finally finds them and eventually gets them back on track. But you can imagine how disheartening this had to be for these people that had trained and worked so hard to run a marathon. And these weren't just some casual marathon joggers. These were the fastest of the group. These were zealous runners. They were out to win it. But they missed out on the prize because they got off course. They started running the wrong way. Now, if you would have seen them off course and running on that busy street, uh, there would have been no question that, hey, these are some zealous runners, right? I mean, they look like runners. They've got the little running shorts on. They're running really fast. They've got passion. There would have been no question that this was a group of runners that had diligence and discipline and putting in the work to become good at running. But the question is, are they on course? Are they running in the right direction? Are they going to get to the prize at the end? Don't we sometimes work really hard at things and become really passionate about things? But if we don't stop on occasion and ask ourselves the question, hey, where is this taking me? Right? If we don't at times stop and ask ourselves, am I running in the right direction? Am I on the right course? If you don't do that on occasion, you will sometimes find yourself in destinations that you initially did not want to get to. I mean, you started out wanting obedient, polite kids. That's a good desire. But you disciplined them so harshly and with so much anger that you ended up with disheartened, bitter kids that are counting down the days to be out from under your authority. You think, how did we get, how did we get here? This isn't where I was trying to go. You started out wanting to provide for your family and your church through your job, but, but now you've just become consumed with your job. Now you just want more and more and more, and now, you're, now you'll sacrifice your family and your church for your job. It now feels like your family and your church are getting in the way of your job. And you think, man, how did I, how did I get here? isn't where I set out to get to. Or maybe you started out wanting to be right with God and you wanted to know him more, wanted to find the truth out about him, 
But now you've become so prideful and self-righteous that you no longer get your joy from communing with him and loving others. No, but now you get joy from dissecting and studying God in order to squash others, in order to justify yourself to others, in order to appeal, appear religiously zealous to others, in order to establish your own righteousness in front of others. So we have to ask the question this morning, church, are you on course? Are you running in the right direction and in the right way? I know you're running hard. I know you've got some zeal. But are you running the right way? And that's what God's word is going to address here in our passage this morning. We're in a portion of Romans, of chapters 9 through 11, where the Apostle Paul is showing us how the righteousness of God is getting out to all people, both Jews and Gentiles. In chapter 9, he's laid out the reason behind the fact that we can have hope, that his righteousness will, in fact, get out to all people, Jews and Gentiles. We have, he laid out the reason for us. We have hope because it's, it's all not based on works. It's because of the sovereign call and mercy of God that this is going to be accomplished. And now as we get into chapter 10, he's going to move from the reason behind we have this hope to now what is our response to the call and mercy of God. And we'll be warned that many of the unbelieving Jews, they were, they were running hard, but, but they had gotten off course. For they weren't running by faith. They weren't running with their eyes set on knowing and enjoying Christ. He was not their prize. He was not their goal that they were longing to get to. So church, are you on course? Are you pursuing righteousness the right way? Are you running by faith with Christ as your prize? Those will be questions we consider this morning. Let's pray, let's ask for the Lord's help, and then we'll get to the word. Father, I'm thankful to be surrounded by a lot of people that are zealous and passionate for many things that are of you. But Father, I ask that your word would instruct us and guide us and transform us and keep us pursuing you and pursuing righteousness in the, in the right way. We ask that you would convict us of any ways that we have gotten off course, that we have started to pursue our own righteousness instead of living out yours. So we ask for your help, Lord, as we look at your word. May your truth bear fruit in our lives. May it convict us and comfort us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, look with me now at Romans 9 starting in verse 30. He says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. These words for pursue and attained and succeed 
These are words that were used to describe sporting events and athletic races, which is why I I started us with this morning of having that image of a a marathon and runners running a race. I believe that's the the, the language here that Paul is is using. Here he says that the people of Israel who pursued a law that would lead them to righteousness, they did not succeed in reaching that law, and we will see why in the next verse. But here's the surprising thing. He says the Gentiles who weren't even pursuing it have attained it. I mean, the Gentiles didn't even sign up for the race, and they seemed to be winning it. They're going to cross the finish line. They're going to get the prize, and they were just out walking their dog. They didn't didn't even register for this thing. And this is surprising. It was surprising to the early church, and it's still surprising to us today because back in the first century and before, the people of God had assumed that a great multitude of the Jews would be saved and maybe a few Gentiles. You know, maybe just the cream of the crop, the best of the best, they would get in. But what we saw in the early church and what we have seen throughout church history so far is the reverse of that has been taking place. A great multitude of the Gentiles are being welcomed in to the people of God currently, and currently only a few of the Jews. He says the Gentiles who were not even looking to be right with God, they have now become right with God. Now you might be thinking that's a bold statement. Are you telling me that God seeks and finds people who weren't even initially seeking him? Well, I don't like to make bold statements on my own. I'll let Isaiah help me out. Skip down to Romans 10, verse 20. We're going to see this in a couple of weeks. Here, Paul quotes Isaiah in Romans 10, verse 20. He writes, Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I love that. Then Isaiah is so bold as to to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me, I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Doesn't your heart rejoice a little bit with such news? Let me see if I can illustrate this a little bit for you. I have here our lost and found, okay? Most of you, many of you maybe don't even know that we have a lost and found. It's, it's found just inside the door of the kitchen. And I'm not going to shame anyone. You don't have to come up and get these items right now. And actually, as I was looking through it this morning, I found one of my long sleeve shirts I was looking for. So I'm, I'm, this isn't, I'm not you know, judging anyone for forgetting their things, okay? Um, but you'll see. I mean, we've got some nice things in here, right? Look at this, right? You can kind of keep a keep a dish warm maybe for the next picnic or outing. Uh, I've got a nice water bottle there. Uh, got a Jesus storybook Bible, a coloring book. We got this. It's just like a mask. I don't know. So some, some good things up here, right? And so you can come and look through that after service, and uh, whatever's left, for those of you in the Connect class, we might have some door prizes, okay? (laughs) Now listen, these items in the lost and found 
uh, they are not out looking for you. You understand this? They're not out looking for you. They actually need you to come find them. Now, you see, when we, we, when we get off course in our pursuit of righteousness, we, we can get off course at different points, but sometimes it happens at the very start. Sometimes we wrongly think that God was the one who was lost and we found him. And therefore, right from the start, we start our run and our pursuit of righteousness with pride and fear. Pride because we were the seekers and we have found what we sought. And fear because if we found him, we might lose him again. And so this is sadly what characterizes many people's pursuit of righteousness. It's, it's characterized by a pride and a fear. This is how many people make life decisions based on their pride and their fear. This is what tortures many people and keeps us up at night all throughout our life. It's our pride and our fear. But it need not be so for the Christian. Because we are not to pursue righteousness or do anything in life out of pride and fear. We must first understand how we got in the race to begin with. God was the seeker. And he has graciously revealed himself to those who weren't even asking for him. And so listen, nothing wrong to say that I found God. The Bible uses that language. But oh, for the sake of your self-righteous pride and fear, may you know that before you found God, God found you. And listen, all you Gentiles in the room, if you had parents who were believers, praise God for that, and they were pointing you to Christ, I mean, what a, what a blessing that is to grow up with parents pointing you to Christ. But at some point in your Gentile family history, there was someone who was not seeking God, but God was seeking them. And God was seeking you through seeking them. And whether it was God through God sending difficult circumstances into their life or God sending his, his people into their life or God revealing himself to them through miraculous or ordinary means or whether it was God, some way God revealed himself to those who were not even seeking him. They were running. They didn't even know why they were running or what they were running for. And God graciously gave them the prize. He gave them himself. He gave them faith. He gave them his righteousness. And some of you, you were that first link in your new family chain that now runs by faith in God with your eyes set on the prize of Jesus Christ, of knowing and enjoying him more. And praise God for some of you who are now the first link in that new family chain. But listen, as you are now starting to disciple others, as you are raising your kids, as you are passing down your faith now from generation to generation, you must never lose the wonder of finding a God who has already found you and sought you. Because if you lose that wonder, and you lose that grace of how your pursuit of righteousness even started. Listen, if you lose that, you are in danger of passing down your pride to your disciples and not your faith. 
And this was the problem of many of the unbelieving Jews. They had become prideful that they were part of a long family line that considered themselves a part of the covenant people of God, and therefore they did not pursue righteousness in the right way. How did they pursue it? And how do many religious people still pursue it? And how do many church-going people still pursue it? Look at verse 32 with me. Romans 9, 32. He says, why? Why did many of the Jews not attain righteousness, but many of the Gentiles did? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. He then quotes from Isaiah. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You see, the pursuit of righteousness, the pursuit of being right with God, must be pursued in the right way. And Paul says that many of the unbelieving Jews were not right with God because they pursued being right with God as if it were based on works. Now remember, Paul's not saying that the law is bad or that good works are bad. If you need a refresher on the law, go back to read Romans 7 and listen to the sermons on Romans 7 because in Romans 7, we learned as Romans 7 verse 12 says, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. We learned that the law of God is good in Romans 7. We learn that the law of God reveals to us the holy nature and character of God. We learn that the law shows us how to love God and how to love others. We learn that the law of God reveals to us our sinfulness and it shows us our need of a Savior. And we also learn that through faith in Christ, we now have a new relationship with the law. That the law is no longer our Lord, but the Lord Jesus is our love. Because the law was always intended to lead the people of God to Christ. The law of God was always intended to be obeyed by faith in him. And the law of God was absolutely an expression and demonstration of God's grace. God had not given the law so that we could pridefully keep it and attain a righteousness of our own. God graciously gave his people the law to show them his holiness, to show them their sinfulness, and to show them their need of a savior. I mean, a big part of the law is the sacrificial system. This is God's grace. Here's the law. I know your hearts, and I'm trying to show you your hearts. You're not going to keep it, but here's the sacrificial system. This is grace. And they were to do the law by faith. God's people have always been saved by grace through faith. It was either a faith looking ahead to the coming Savior that God had promised back in Genesis 3 who would crush the head of the serpent, or, or on this side of the cross and resurrection, it's a faith that looks back to our risen Savior and Lord. But it's always been by grace through faith. So don't stumble over God's mercy and grace like many of the unbelieving Jews have. You see, the cross of Christ 
is offensive to those who are working for their own righteousness because it screams out that they're not doing a great job. And no one likes to be told they're not doing a good job. It's hard to hear. It hurts. It's humbling. The cross proclaims that we were sinners in need of a Savior. And this is what God said would happen through the coming of Christ. Some people are going to trip and fall and stumble over him. For Jesus is the stone of stumbling. He is the rock of offense. The work of Jesus is offensive to those who are working for their own righteousness. Why? Because to receive the work of Christ and his righteousness is to admit that you could never attain a righteousness on your own. And this is what, where we must all get to at some point. To receive the work of Christ and admit that we could not attain a righteousness on our own. We couldn't. You can't. Oh, but we like to try, don't we? As opposed to resting in and building our lives upon the righteousness of God that we receive through faith in Christ. No, we would rather establish our own righteousness. Thank you very much. And it plays out like this. I mean, sure, we know we have some sin in our lives. We'll probably all admit to that. But you know what? I care more about the, pe- the poor than other people do. I mean, I'm, I'm giving to the poor. I'm, I'm spending time with the poor. I'm praying with the poor. I'm feeding the poor. Therefore, I am so much more righteous in my mercy than other people around me. Or maybe it's, uh, you know, I know I have some sin in my life, but I manage my finances way better than other people do. I've got spreadsheets. I mean, not a dollar is wasted. I know where everything's going. I'm so much of a better steward than other people around me. And therefore, I feel that sense of I am more righteous in my stewardship than everyone else sitting around me in this room. Or maybe it's this for you. Hey, I've, I've read and studied more than other people. I've read more of the Bible. I've studied more theology books than other people. Therefore, my intellect is more righteous than other people sitting around me. Or maybe it's this. Hey, I, I raise and educate my kids in this specific way, and it's so much better than how other people are doing it. Therefore, I am so much more righteous in my parenting than other people that are sitting around me. And if you're not careful, what can happen is in that self-righteousness, we can start to lose our view of the cross. We can even start towards, towards this unbelief that Christ would actually have to die for us. I mean, I understand he needed to die for some of those other people, but not me. He didn't really need to die for me. I didn't need a savior. There were so many more worse people in the world than me. I'm good. I got this. I'll even maybe do this church thing for a little while as a bit of fire insurance just in case. But listen, I'm good. You ask the majority of people 
who believe in a, in a heaven and believe in a hell, you ask the majority of people why they think they're going to be going to heaven. I mean, they'll, they'll spew out some sort of works-based righteousness to you. But listen, church, this is not how we pursue and attain righteousness. We pursue it by faith. By faith. And faith is a humble trust in God. Faith is a humble trust in God. And living by faith is humbly trusting God in all things. That's how we're called to live. By faith. To humbly trust God in all things. I mean, that's been on the forefront of my mind this week, preparing for this message as things come up. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm constantly bombarded with this battle of, am I going to humbly trust God in this thing? Father, help me. Strengthen my faith. I want to humbly trust you in all things, in life and in my salvation. I want to humbly trust God in all things. To pursue righteousness by faith is to humbly trust in a God who has found us and revealed himself to us. And he's given us eyes to look to the cross and see that there was no way we could have attained a righteousness on our own. The gift of faith is like being given a pair of sunglasses through which we can look at the glory of Christ and see how wonderful and glorious and gracious he is. Devin, uh, Corey, and I don't know if Devin's here today. We'll call him out. Pastor Kevin, though, as well. They have these special sunglasses that they're always bragging about. And I was going to approach them one-on-one, but I figured this was the more appropriate setting <laughs> to talk about it. And we'll be hanging out on a sunny day, and I'll just be, you know, squinting, barely able to see what's happening around me, you know, just blinded by the light of the sun. Or maybe I'll remember to bring my Walmart sunglasses, and I'll put them on and can see grainy images of things, you know, enough to just get around and survive, But they put on these special sunglasses, and I'm telling you, it's something just to watch how they live and act. I mean, they put these on, and they're like, oh, Grant, Grant, you got to see what I'm seeing. The grass, Grant, I know you know the grass is green, but it's, it's greener than you could imagine it is. And Grant, the sky, it's, it's, it's bluer. I know you know the sky's blue, but the sky is bluer than you can even imagine. And things are just so rich and vivid, and, and it's so amazing. And they're seeing colors that aren't even on the spectrum. We don't even know about these things, but they're seeing them. This is, from my perspective, an accurate description of what has happened. And Kevin doesn't have a microphone the rest of the morning, so I'll just keep going with it. But listen, to have faith, to have faith in Christ is a gift that is very similar to those glasses. 
the unbelieving Jews looked at Christ and his cross and they despised it. They stumbled over it. They wanted a conquering king, not a carpenter king. They couldn't see the kingdom that Jesus was bringing or the church that he was building. They couldn't see it. Unbelieving Gentiles looked at the cross and looked at Christ and they saw folly and foolishness. But to those who are being saved, we look to the cross and we see the wisdom and power of God. We see the grace and mercy of our Savior. With eyes of faith, we can proclaim, oh, the wonderful cross. Wonderful cross. And it's through this faith in Christ that we receive righteousness from God. For God's word says, not whoever does enough work for him will not be put to shame on the last day. God's word says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And to be put to shame is referring to the end time judgment. Whoever is humbly trusting Christ for their rightness with God will not be disappointed on that day. No, they will be honored and glorified with Christ on that day. But for the person who thinks they can work their way into a right standing with God, which is essentially what every other religion and philosophy teaches, for that person, they only have judgment awaiting them. This idea of Jesus being the stone of stumbling or being the cornerstone, like Peter teaches and quotes as well, it's helping us to see that you are either stumbling over Jesus or you are resting on him and building your entire life upon him and his work. There's no middle ground. There's no room for neutrality with Jesus. You're either stumbling over him or you're building your entire life and salvation upon him. And let me tell you, this is so offensive to the pluralistic, relativistic, humanistic culture that we live in. Because no one cares if you say Jesus is a God, but they will hate you when you say Jesus is the God. No one gets their feathers ruffled when you say Jesus is a way to have a right standing with God. But you will be hated when you say he is the way to a right standing with God. But church, this is the truth. And if you love people, you speak the truth in love to them with gentleness and respect, but you speak the truth in love to them. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ is offensive to people who want to work for their right standing with God. The work of Christ confronts our prideful desire to work for our righteousness and it replaces it with a desire to humbly trust God in all things in life and in our salvation. For you see, God desires for us to no longer work for our righteousness, but instead to work from the righteousness we've already received from him. And we do this by faith with our eyes set on the goal of the finish line. 
But some people will refuse salvation by grace through faith in Christ because they haven't seen yet how holy God is, how sinful they are, and they think they can still work for it. And Paul's heart breaks for them here. My question for us is, do do our hearts break for them? Look with me at Romans 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. You see, in no way here does Paul's teaching on the sovereignty of God negate what he is now going to teach about man's responsibility. We're going to see much more of man's responsibility in in chapter 10 as we go. And his teaching on the sovereignty of God no way negates or get us out of what he's going to now call us to and give us the responsibility that we have. For God is sovereign over the end, but he is also sovereign over the means to that end. You have a fallen or you have fallen into a wrong teaching of fatalism and a wrong view of God's sovereignty if you think that God's sovereignty excuses you from a faithful prayer life in which you are praying for others and specifically for others to be saved. You see, yes, God has a sovereign plan, but he is accomplishing it through means. He's accomplishing it through prayer. He's accomplishing it through preaching through serving, through evangelism, through hospitality, through parenting, through education. These are the means that God works through to accomplish his ends. And we are his workmanship, created for good works, church. Our minds need to be informed by the doctrine that is being laid out to us, but our hearts must also be awakened and shown how they need to respond to this doctrine. And so see Paul's heart here and see his prayer life here. Brothers and sisters, we must be praying for those who have not received the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Because this is often how God starts seeking them and revealing himself to to them. His will for them is oftentimes accomplished through the prayers of his people. How wonderful is that? Many of you know of Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China. Grew up in a Christian home, but from age 15 through 17, went through a pretty rebellious phase. At age 15, his dad felt like he needed to get out and experience the world. He'd been home long enough. I mean, he's 15 for crying out loud. Get a job, right? So he sends him to go work at a bank, And it was the first time that Hudson was around other people that that weren't Christians. And actually, they were openly mocking and scoffing Christianity. And he, he started to join in with them. He started to fall in love with money. He started, he started to lose interest in prayer and, and Bible reading and everything he had done growing up. And his father got really harsh and demanding with him because of this as he saw him walking away from the family and from the faith that he was raised in. But his mom committed to pray for him. His sister, who was 13 years old, committed to praying for Hudson three times a day until God would do a work in his life 
And one week while his mom was away from home, she felt the pressing need to pray for her son. And so she prayed longer. She prayed more diligently. She prayed more faithfully. She got after it in prayer that week. And one day she was praying and praying and praying. And God just sent her this sense of assurance that he had, he had Hudson. And she praised God for what he had done and continued to praise God the rest of the week. All the while back at home, Hudson is at home and he gets bored. He wanders into his father's library, picks up a pamphlet, and he reads the words on the pamphlet, the finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ. And in that moment, he understood that Christ had done all that was necessary for salvation, and the only right response was to accept that work by faith. And later in the week, he was reunited with his mom, excited to tell her what had happened, and she's like, I already know, but let's celebrate together. You see, church, God accomplishes many of his purposes through our prayers. Paul's praying for those unbelievers he knows. He's praying for them. His heart's broken for them. Are we, church? Are we? And then look at how he describes them. He says that they have a zeal for God. Zeal is a word that describes a fervor and a passion. They have a diligence for God. They're passionate. They're, 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 there's, they've got energy and fervor, and they're, they're ready to get after it for the Lord. I mean, think of, one of, the fa- think, think of think of the fastest runners at a marathon, right? They are zealous for running. And zeal for God can be a good thing. Later in Romans, he's going to tell us that for those who lead, they need to lead with zeal. So zeal is a good thing, but it's not a good thing here. Why? Look at verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You see what he says here. He says they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. This is why we believe it's so important to study and and know God's word and to preach it and teach it rightly because every false religion has people who are zealous for God, but do they have a zeal coupled with a right knowledge of God? Proverbs 19, verse 2, which we'll have up on the screen. It says, desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Now, many of the Jews knew the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the law. They knew a lot. But they, they did not know Christ. They did not receive and understand God's grace. They were ignorant that the righteousness of God needed to be received 
through faith. And so instead, they sought to establish their own, and they did not submit to God's righteousness. Kind of a classic sign of self-righteousness is someone who won't rightly submit to the authority God has given them, whether in the home or in the church, or in this case, ultimately here, even to receive the righteousness from God. They just won't submit to it. But you see, the unbelieving Jews, their religious pride had blinded them so much that they have missed Christ. They have despised grace. And they missed the whole point of God's word and his law. They have missed what verse 4 says. Look at verse 4. He says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, he's not saying that the law has ended or that Christ has abolished the law. He says Christ is the end of the law. That word end means Christ is the goal of the law. He's the whole point of the law. He's where this is all headed towards. And Paul's heart is broken for unbelieving Jews because, man, they're running hard. They've got so much passion and zeal and discipline. Look at their kids. They're so well behaved. Do you see how successful and polite their kids are? Oh, man, they study the scriptures diligently. They know the scriptures so much better than all of you. They've got their lives together. They've got their households running in an orderly way. I mean, look at these people. Got a zeal for God but they've missed the whole point of their studies and work. The whole point was Christ. They were to pursue righteousness by faith and receive Christ as their prize. But what they did instead was they used the law as a means to their own ends. They took God's law, added their own laws to it, and used it as a way to get themselves ahead in life and in society and to establish their own righteousness. And my question for you, church-going people, is are you guilty of doing a similar thing? Paul's heart is broken for the unbelieving Jews. And in a similar way, my heart is broken for the church-going people in Franklin. Specifically, who are using Christianity as a means to their own ends. Instead of humbly trusting God in all things and receiving the prize of knowing and enjoying Christ. Are you, church, pursuing righteousness from the start to the end by faith? Are your eyes set on Christ and desiring to know and enjoy Him more? The work of Christ confronts our prideful desire to work for our righteousness, and it replaces it with a desire to humbly trust God in all things. And maybe you're here this morning, maybe you've never started this, this life of living by faith in Christ. 
Maybe you have lived your entire life trying to work for your right standing with God. And hear, hear me today. This is, this is out of love for you. Listen, you do not have the strength in you to work for your own right standing with God. God is holy, and, and God's word tells us that, that we are sinners. We have fallen short of his holy and righteous standard, and we need a Savior. And so I would plead with you today, if you are working for your own right standing with God, would you surrender that today? And would you trust in Christ alone for your life and salvation? Do not trick yourself into believing that you can be neutral towards Jesus. You are either tripping and stumbling over him or you are building your entire life upon him. There is no middle ground. But there is so much joy to be had in confessing and surrendering our sin and trusting that Christ has paid the penalty for it and receiving his righteousness, his right standing with the Father. If you've never done that today, I would call you to faith today. Put your trust in Christ today. Come and talk with one of the pastors here. We'll pray with you today. But for those that you've been now walking with Christ for a long time, we can still start to lose our way and get off track and forget how we're doing, what we're doing, why we're doing it. And so let me remind you today, brothers and sisters, we are no longer living for our righteousness, but we are living now from the righteousness we have received from God. And we do desire his righteousness to be established in every aspect of our lives so that we might know and enjoy Christ more. Not so we can be better than all the people around us, but we want to see his righteousness established in every aspect of our lives so that we might know and enjoy Christ more. But you see, pride and self-righteousness can take us off course and get in the way. And so let's even talk, uh, the kids in here that are in, in Awana that we've started recently. Praise God for all the kids and volunteers that are involved in it. This is a good thing. We're excited about what is happening here. But are we humbly trusting Christ in Awana with our eyes set on knowing and enjoying him more? Because we could start to get off track and start doing Awana in the wrong way. You understand? Pride and self-righteousness starts to creep in. We could start doing it more out of pride versus at, by faith. But to memorize Scripture by faith, this is what we are called to do, to memorize Scripture by faith. And to do that means it, it looks like humbly trusting that yes, this is hard work, but we are humbly trusting that God is going to bring fruit in our life from his word being hidden in our heart. We are humbly trusting that through the hard work and perseverance of memorizing scripture, that somehow through this, by faith, we're trusting that this is going to cause us to know and enjoy Christ more. 
that later on in life, in a time of despair, in a time of prayer, where we're struggling with the Lord, the Spirit's going to bring back to mind a truth that we learned in Awana, and it's going to be so sweet to our soul and so refreshing and life-giving to us, and we're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I'm speaking from personal experience, because that's the Lord brings back to mind what I learned in Awana. But we got to do Awana by faith with our eyes fixed on knowing and enjoying Christ more. Men, on our last men's retreat, what do we talk about on the men's retreat? We talked about fleeing some things and pursuing other things, both on our work days and our rest days, and what this looked like. But you could start getting off course with that. You could start doing that the wrong way. If pride and fear and self-righteousness could start creeping in and taking you off course, you could start doing that the wrong way, going in the wrong direction. You could start taking biblical wisdom as a, as a means to your own ends. But no, instead, we, we obey God's word. We obey what his word calls us to do in a, by faith humbly trusting that God's work will be accomplished God's ways and that as we pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness, that through pursuing those things, the whole point of pursuing those things is to know and enjoy Christ more. And so everything you face this week will be an opportunity for you to humbly trust God and to fix your eyes on knowing and enjoying Christ more. You will have multiple opportunities to do this. You will either either do that, you will either by faith, humbly trusting God in that, fixing your eyes on Jesus in that, or you will operate out of pride and fear and pursue more self-righteousness. And so consider this morning, are you on course? Are you running in the right direction and in the right way? Are you humbly trusting that Jesus, knowing that he has run the race before us, he's the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so therefore, in whatever situation you find yourself in this week, are you going to operate out of pride and fear and pursue more self-righteousness? Or are you going to humbly trust God in all things with your eyes set on Christ that you might know him and enjoy him more? Let's pray.